0: Today we are joined uh, with a good friend and leading figure uh, in Texas, uh, Joe Jaworski. Uh, Joe is going to talk to us today about uh, an event, a series of actions that have been followed closely around the country, but very poorly understood. Uh, These are the events surrounding the uh, impeachment of uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and then the acquittal of Ken Paxton. Both of these sets of events occurred within the last few months. And um, we now have an attorney general in Texas who was impeached by his own party, but has now been acquitted uh, by his own party in two different branches of the Texas government. Joe Jaworski is going to help us understand what has happened, what this means, not just for Texas, but what this means for the Republican Party and for democracy in the United States uh, as a whole. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today yes professor
2: great to see you and zachary
0: joe as i'm sure many of our listeners know is a third generation texas trial attorney and the former mayor of galveston texas he served as a law law clerk to the united states court of appeals of the fifth circuit and he has spent 32 years in private practice as a trial attorney, a mediator, and a legal commentator. His official biography is far too modest. Uh, Joe has been a leading macher, a leading actor in uh, politics in Texas uh, really over the last three decades, deeply involved in many issues, especially those surrounding the attorney general and state and local politics. And I don't know anyone who's better situated to explain the vagaries and oddities of what's happened than than Joe. So we're very fortunate to have him with us today. Uh, before we turn to our discussion uh, with Joe Jaworski, we have, of course, uh, Mr. Zachary's scene-setting poem. Uh, Zachary, what's the title of your poem today?
1: A Bad Sonnet for a Bad Man.
0: <laughs> I knew you were going to get some, uh, some kicks in with your title and then with the rest of it. So uh, I'm excited, Zachary. Let's hear it. It always seems to me to be the case
1: that he who wants to go slow must first make haste. For though the changes may seem to ebb and flow, you'll drown standing still if you cannot row. And he who whines and catcalls the shyster calls for justice, but he cannot entice her. For the root of it all lies with Lady Law, who knows what she knows and saw what she saw. He may scream, he may pout, he may even win, but the joy will soon be ripped from his grin. He may strut, he may lie, he may chuckle, but looming still is fortune's hard knuckle. So take heart and do not think ill, the ending surely will thrill, for the triumph he takes too soon will someday spell his ruin.
0: Brilliant. There's so much in that. That's so right, Joe. Wasn't that exciting to hear?
2: <laughs> I mean, I I need that framed on my office wall. It speaks to the state of government in Texas and how we choose our leaders. And I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> Me too, Zachary. I was moved by the range of um, emotions you cover in there too. Uh, a bit of triumphalism, a bit of bitterness, uh, sarcasm. Uh, what is your poem about?
1: Uh, my poem is about. Um, Uh, trying to come to terms with the fact that someone who so blatantly breaks the law and so blatantly undermines uh, the rule of law in Texas is the chief law enforcement officer in the state of Texas. Uh, um, (laughs) Something that's very hard to wrap one's head around. uh, But honestly, if you, if you're at all familiar with Texas politics makes a lot of sense. Um, (laughs) So I I guess this poem is sort of trying to come to terms with that, but also a recognition that, uh, that those uh, who misuse power, um, Uh, never, never succeed in the end, or or rarely do. Interesting.
0: I like that optimistic note. Uh, Joe, I think this is a perfect place to start. Uh, Explain to us, especially to our listeners who are not familiar with Texas politics, or even those who are like myself and struggle to understand it. How did we come to this point? How do we have Ken Paxton, uh, a clear lawbreaker as the chief law enforcement officer of the state? and, And why was he impeached and then acquitted by the same party?
2: Well, Jeremy, it it all starts in 2018, and mind you, uh, he was sworn in as Attorney General in 2015, and he started his career in elective Texas office in 2002. So this guy didn't just come on the scene. Um, But uh, in 2002, he became a House member. In 2012, a member of the Senate. 2014, he got elected to Attorney General Right away, he became, you know, covered up in scandal. Um, But the thing that led to his impeachment uh, earlier this year began in 2018. So that's where I'm going to start the chronology. You know, the man's been in office at this point, 16 years, one way or the other. And Jeremy, in 2018, that's when Ken Paxton and Nate Paul, his, you know, brother in conspiracy, (laughs) met. And I think it's interesting, you know, uh, they met because they needed each other. You know, Paxton was in a Uh, close uh, razor shave election in 2018. Justin Nelson was the Democratic nominee and and Paxton won by three points only. And that was the same year that, you know, Beto gave Ted Cruz a run for his money. So, uh, you know, Trump was president. And as usual, the midterm is unkind to the occupant of the White House. So Democrats were ascendant that year. Paxton needed a nice hefty donation. Uh, he got a $25,000 contribution from Nate Paul and Nate Paul needed Ken Paxton. Uh, this would later come out in the impeachment trial. But um, at the time, Nate Paul saw on the horizon that he was going to be sued by a nonprofit foundation called the Mitty Foundation. Uh, and that's spelled M's and Mary, I-T-T-E, for those who want to look it up. Interestingly, The current chairman of the Mitty Foundation is R.J. Mitty from Brownsville, who played Walt Jr. in Breaking Bad. Um, And yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? And, you know, they're a a really nice foundation. And um, uh, they had invested several million with Nate Paul's um, uh, Austin based uh, skyscraper empire. The guy owned a bunch of commercial property and he uh, was riding high. Nate Paul was in 20. 2013, 2014, 2015, by 2018, he he was falling apart. And in particular, he did the Midi Foundation wrong after they had several uh, mutually beneficent relationships, but not this one. And so the Midi Foundation sued him. uh, They agreed to a settlement and then he reneged on the settlement. Uh, They were then suing him to enforce the settlement at the time he made the contribution to Ken Paxton. Well, why is Ken Paxton important here? because as we all know, the Texas Attorney General oversees litigation regarding charitable trusts and foundations. That's why. That would later come home to roost. Uh, In 2019, Paul is in full-blown crisis because the FBI raided his home, his office, and his warehouse, uh, his storage facilities. Uh, By 2020, uh, there had been a good year and a half of Ken Paxton. Uh, aiding Nate Paul in all these unnatural ways, and the whistleblowers come onto the scene. These are uh, eight uh, handpicked, uh, rock ribbed conservative uh, employees that Ken Paxton hired personally, who who had been pleading with their boss, quit obsessing over Nate Paul. You know, quit doing things for him. You're you're not focusing on the on the state's best interest. You're you're helping this one man. You're turning the AG's office into his concierge law firm. Stop it. And he would not. And so they had no choice uh, but to follow the oath of office and go straight to the FBI, which, Jeremy, as you know, gives them the status of whistleblower. Right. Uh, Right. Right. And and as you know, that means uh, under the Texas Labor Code, uh, you have a 90 day safe harbor where you cannot be fired or demoted or the like. Well, that didn't stop Ken Paxton because, you know, he's uh, above or beneath the law. And he fired or, you know, otherwise constructively terminated them all by 45 days. They filed suit. That lawsuit wended its way to the Supreme Court over about a two-year period. In early 2023, he settled it for full value, 3.3 million, stuck the bill with the Texas House of Representatives, who said, What is this? Explain yourself. He would not explain himself. So they investigated him for three months and impeached him like two days before sine die, which is the end of the 140-day legislative session in 2023, which then activated the need for a Senate impeachment trial. Let me get my breath.
0: <laughs> There's a lot that you're getting at there, Joe, but I think the key point here is that the Attorney General of Texas was corruptly collaborating with a developer, and then broke the law a second set of times by trying to cover that up. And as always, the cover-up is often worse than the crime, yes?
2: Oh, yes, sir. That's why it has, you know, great parallels with Watergate and, you know, to use a Texas example from 1971. Um, And so we then come to the September impeachment trial, and I will uh, uh, cast some flame here by saying, Acquitted? Oh no, I think not. What really happened is he was pardoned because no reasonable person could have listened to that two-week trial and found him Lily White or some you know esoteric uh, explanation that well there might have been something there, but they didn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Look, the Republican senators gave him a pass, and so what I'm calling the verdict is the great Texas senate republican pardon of warren kenneth paxton jr that's what it was
0: and and why did they do that why did they pardon him when as you described it the evidence was so overwhelming these were fellow republicans who had been the whistleblowers it was a republican house that filed and passed the articles of impeachment why did the senate not follow up and remove him from office
2: Right. So uh, the direct answer. And by the way, this is all very fresh. I mean, as we're recording this, it's it's Tuesday. The the verdict, the pardon came on Saturday and um, they had deliberated Friday after the end of closing arguments, starting at about noon until 7 p.m. They then came back the next morning and had the verdict, you know, about an hour after coming back. So uh, the reason they, uh, you know, let's use the right word, acquitted him. Uh, is that uh, I'm told anecdotally that in deliberations, they were one vote short, Jeremy. And what I mean by that is they needed 21 yays, affirmative votes, to convict him on any one of 16 articles of impeachment. And, and I think that there were two or three that were just dead right on. And so you don't need all 16. All you need is one, but you know, I think there were two or three that were just slam dunk. When politically... The Republican senators realized, oh, my God, we're one short and these people are not budging. Several of them said, well, I'm not sticking my neck out to make a statement. If, if we can't knock them out, then count me as a negative. I, I'm not voting for conviction. So, you know, it, it was like a stock run or, you know, a bank run. I mean, like, you know, they were edging up to the lip of getting it done. And then when people realized it wasn't going to work, I'd say up to six uh, Republican senators uh, who you know will never admit that they were willing to convict decided against conviction. That's why he was acquitted,
0: right? And just to just to provide the framework here, there are 31 members of the Texas Senate, and so they needed uh, 21 uh, 21 uh, affirmative votes to convict. Correct?
2: Correct. And I'll do the math with you. There's 12 Democrats, and there's 19 Republicans. One of those 19 Republicans is Ken Paxton's wife, and I'd like to talk about this little, you know, hybrid recusal that uh, I'm sure Dan Patrick crafted and then compelled everyone to vote for it. So, so before I get there, let me just say that of the 19 Republicans, only 18 could vote. So since there were 12 Democrats who were steadfast that uh, Ken Paxton, you know, had done these things and they were going to vote to convict him, we needed nine, right, to get to 21. And we had eight, and then we had two and that's how it ended and Mm -hmm. you know again no one wrote this down this is all sort of confidential anecdotal and finally it's in writing in the houston chronicle uh which is online um and uh obviously the title of the article says it all which is uh, i was just reading it inside the deliberations that led to ken paxton's impeachment acquittal uh it was published uh yesterday, the 19th of September.
1: Mm, mm. Zachary? What do you think that this uh, this acquittal says about the state of politics in Texas, and in particular, the state of the Republican Party in Texas?
2: Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a sad statement. What it says is, uh, Democrats, you know, we're going to remind you, you don't have a say in this. We decide who leads this state in the Republican primary in March which is one of the first primaries, you know, it's a super Tuesday primary, but it's early. And uh, given that it's so early nationally, the sign up for the primary is November 11th this year, like, you know, in two months to December 11th. And so, Zachary, what it says is um, we have to win our primaries and the MAGA-fueled base uh, will, will be unhappy if we Uh, remove their happy warrior who routinely sues the Biden administration, Uh, we don't want to be affiliated with that, even if we are standing on the shoulder of giants who led our state for close to 200 years. None of that history matters. The only thing that matters is the moment, and that's the MAGA moment. That's what the message is.
0: And Joe, obviously, there are some Republicans who don't agree with that, who believed that uh, Paxton had crossed a line in his corruption, in his his incompetence. Um, Sixty Republicans in the House voted for impeachment. The impeachment inquiry was led by rock-ribbed Republicans, as you call them, including the um, grandson of a former governor, Coke Stevenson. Um, and in the, in the Senate, clearly, uh, even though the vote was lopsided, they were pretty close to conviction. There were, as you said, eight uh, Republicans who looked like they were ready to, to vote for conviction. Two did in the end. Um, what is the split here? What, what divides these two factions of the Republican Party and how deep is that divide?
2: It's interesting to answer that question by looking at the numbers. Um, you know, Texas has now over 30 million in population population. 23 million of which are voting age population, Mm. 17 to 18 million of whom are registered. And then 10 to 11 will vote uh, in a uh, November election. In the Republican primary, 2 million in the democratic primary, about a million. And, you know, what's the way I want to answer that question is it, it would all be different if more people voted in the primaries, you know, if the same number of people voted in November took the time to vote in their primary of choice, I think this insanity would not be playing out. But because, you know, of gaming the system, and and I don't mean to sound, you know, like too conspiratorial here, but let's face it, either through sheer boorish advertising in political circles to, you know, limiting the ease of voting by, you know, making it harder to vote by mail or to eliminate uh, certain identification freedoms shall we say um you can't use a student id to prove who you are when it comes right. to voting but you can use a gun license you know things like that are intentional and and all i'm saying is is that a lot of people are just checking out jeremy and if if everybody who voted in november voted in the primary we wouldn't be here so so the message is the republicans have an inter Nicene battle, a civil war that has been ongoing for years, but now it's a, in full bloom. And, you know, uh, it is the hottest part of the civil war. And people will uh, finally see, I think in March 2024, that the MAGA wing with Trump on the eve of one of his trials uh, will be in full display.
0: And what is it that attracts people to the MAGA wing, and what is it that attracts people to the the what we might say is the non-MAGA wing of the party? And 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 is it is it just a mimic of what we see in the United States, or is it something different in particular to Texas?
2: I, I think it, it's it's very similar to what you see nationally, but uh, at at its core is border politics. Uh, it's a sense of disgruntlement that. You know, as things get harder for everybody, the price of bread goes up, you know, gas goes up. The investment in public infrastructure is struggling, you know, in Texas, you know, uh, people's health is more poor um, or poorer that, you know, it's blame game politics. And, you know, it's easy for uh, people who are being encouraged by the media they consume to blame you know, those who have less attempting to cross the border or, you know, trying to do something about their viability, their survivability. And so I think border politics in Texas, if you think it's bad, like on a national scale, it's concentrated here in Texas. And so the Republican Party here uh, makes it real clear uh, that, you know, if you want to stick it to Joe Biden and the national Democrats in the White House, you know, come with us.
0: What do you think will happen then? Do you, do you foresee in both Texas and in the country as a whole, you see the MAGA wing growing and getting stronger, Joe?
2: Well, I, I do. And, and yet, you know, I, I query how many people really believe in it. I, I think a lot of people vote Republican uh, preternaturally uh, just because, you know, for the last number of years, it's just been the party that wins. You know, it's like going into the restaurant and just kind of ordering the same thing, even though there's a, a lovely menu with lots of options, you know, and we're all guilty of that. Secondly, uh, if people were aware how policy is made uh, within the Republican leadership of the Texas Republican Party and those who are in government, I think they'd be offended because you look no further than how Ken Paxton was defended. Um, it was almost like a scripted talking point. Uh, Tim Dunn, Ferris Wilkes truly like you know out of central casting like in that movie trading places you know (laughs) know, with oak brothers or something these guys are just two or three people and they are literally fracking billionaires and i would just like you to consider you know that shaving off you know five to ten million dollars a cycle to them is like us going out for a nice dinner or something i mean i you know i'm i'm exaggerating a little bit but trust me it is a budgeted amount of money that causes them no pain whatsoever. That they, they don't have to, you know, stop going to the movies on Friday to afford it. You know what I mean, Jeremy? Right, and, right, right. And, and so these guys, you know, treat Texas politics every two years as something to manage. And so they, they, in this case, Ken Paxton, it was kind of a shock, an unexpected expenditure, but they were able to muster the resources uh, to pay the presiding judge, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, $3 million dollars, $3 million, uh, I think less than two months before the first witness was called. And, you know, he, of course, has denied that this has anything to do with the trial. I just accepted it because I have been a favorite of theirs for years. Uh, you know, I'll let the listeners decide whether a presiding judge, you know, six weeks prior to a witness being sworn in under his oath and using the Bible should be. You know, except $3 million, is, does that bring a conflict of interest? Um, anyway, these guys, Dunn and Wilkes and their PAC, which is called Defend Texas Liberty, uh, paid for billboards, TV ads, um, robo calls, telephone calls, um, texting, uh, and made other contributions. They gave Ken Paxton, I think, you know, several hundred thousand uh, to help defend himself that's why he was acquitted. The speech that the defense lawyer gave was all about the Bush era is over. Uh, This is all, this attack is being directed by rhinos, Republican in name only. Uh, Don't let the liberals take your happy warrior, Ken Paxton, away from you because then who will sue the Biden administration? You know, global world order, the whole bit, Jeremy. And that was apparently effective and senators cowered at the sound of the gong of their master. Mm, And mm. I, I am here to tell you that's your Texas today. Mm,
1: mm. Are are you hopeful, um, Mr. Jaworski, that, that, that maybe Paxton will meet his comeuppance as uh, I not so subtly hinted at in, in the poem
2: well it's true zachary he is not scot-free i mean he may be on this thing for now but he is uh, got at least three elements of exposure that are pretty serious one he has um, a criminal trial in harris county which is houston texas uh, on securities fraud charges and you know it's the big joke because he was uh, indicted in 2015 shortly after being sworn in as attorney general and Everyone knows the story about how it wended its way all through the courts, but here's the bottom line. All that's over. It's now going to be tried in Harris County. The highest criminal court in Texas has said so, and there's no more appeals of any of that. So in 2024, Zachary, he will be tried in front of a Harris County jury of 12, a real jury, by the way. Secondly, we know the FBI has been investigating him because that's who the whistleblowers went to in October, 2020. And now that investigation has matured into a federal grand jury in San Antonio being impaneled and receiving testimony uh, uh, along the lines of what we heard some of in the impeachment trial. And again, if anyone thinks that this quote impeachment trial was like sort of the same thing as a criminal trial, it was not. Um, And Dan Patrick uh, put his thumb on the scale and he received $3 million, and I'll leave it to other people to make the connection, but uh, deciding whether a witness could testify or not, Dan Patrick. Uh, deciding whether Ken Paxton could take the stand or not, Ken, uh, Dan Patrick. Um, you know, Deciding uh, uh, how long the trial would be, Dan Patrick. Um, deciding how deliberations would be handled, Dan Patrick. So um, he, he was able to exercise great authority.
0: That ostensibly would not be the case in a court of law, where there are established procedures, which would require, for example, uh, that the defendant uh, Ken Paxton actually appear in court. Right? He he strangely didn't even didn't even appear for most of his trial in the Senate. Correct.
2: That, that's exactly right, Jeremy. And there is something called the Federal Code of Criminal Procedure, or you know the Texas Code of Criminal Procedure, and you know it's been developed over hundreds of years, certainly decades. Um, And, you know, it works. People get tried in front of a jury of their peers in all 254 counties and in all the federal courts and divisions every day. Uh, And it's a well-worn opportunity to exercise justice. Justice was not exercised in the Texas Senate.
0: So, so, Joe, watching this as someone who's deeply embedded in Texas politics, it's been your life, but also as someone who's uh, involved in national politics and follows that closely are 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 you optimistic? Do you see this moment in Texas as the maga wing of the Republican Party maybe reaching too far, or is this the opposite? Is this a sign that? Uh, that wing of the party might be stronger than ever. And what happened here in Texas might be a precursor to what we might see with other trials and other levels of corruption in other parts of the
2: country. Right. I I, I will choose that it's it's going to be a happier ending um, because I just can't believe that, you know, what is in the American psyche, you know, whether it's, you know, you watch, you know, shows that talk about, you know, Band of Brothers or the gumption that it took to counter the nazis by invading france basically from the sea you know uh, at great loss of life you know that that american moment the the ingenuity that that you know created the end to world war 2 thanks to science um you know the, the 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 great generation that that created so many industrial advances and, you know, just American innovation, you know, we we are winners, we are leaders, you know, we understand our faults, but I never for a moment would think that we would fall like Germany did to Hitler's charms, if you want to call them that. The story of a fascist takeover of a great culture, you know, that gave us Goethe and Beethoven uh, is is one for the ages. And, you know, I read William Shire's book, Rise and Fall, of the Third Reich, you know, uh, and I don't believe that's going to happen in America. I think that we're actually really polite people here, by and large. And, you know, the way the MAGA movement is going right now is, is right near the end, let's say, of the dinner party where the boorish drunk is uh, screaming and, you know, racial epithets. And we're all just like, oh, my God, don't say anything. You know, this, now I think people are done with that, um, uh, especially the, the youth. Um, they realize that their nat- natural inheritance is being squandered and they're angry about it, and you know those of us that are in our 60s, um, like myself, have an obligation now to set the field, shall we say, for the next generation like Zachary, and, and the millions and millions, tens of millions of, of them his age, uh, this is not fair. And so I'm not going to sit by idly uh, while the state of Texas, which has some of the greatest natural resources and greatest history uh, of, of any state, uh, goes down the
0: tube.
1: Uh, it's just not going to happen, Jeremy.
0: Zachary, do you agree?
1: I do agree. I, I think we're at a moment uh, where, where young people are recognizing that, that the political system, particularly in Texas, but but also nationwide, isn't serving their interests. And we're also at a point in our country's history when we're going to be uh, about as young as we've ever been. Uh, so I think there's a lot of hope there, uh, for sure. And I think that, that if anything, these these sort of um, landmark um, trials, even if they don't always end up with justice being served, at least lay bare uh, the corruption and, and the lies uh, of so many people that we that we entrust with, with authority uh, who, who aren't really worthy of it.
0: Right. It, it's so interesting, just building on what you said, Zachary, and what you said, Joe, so, so eloquently. It's, it's so interesting to see how even Ken Paxton's defenders aren't really defending his behavior. Uh, The approach is generally to blame the other side, which is their own party, and to make an argument about procedure, that somehow he wasn't treated fairly. But it's very hard to defend his behavior, <laughs> and and I think that's what's been exposed, and, and I think that's what we're grappling with. I think it's the same problem the Republican Party faces nationally, right? Uh, as they approach a potential government shutdown because they can't even agree within the House of Representatives on spending bills, um, we're we're at one more of these historical moments where dysfunction is is clearly associated with one party and 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 not another, and and it's 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 hard to imagine. That continuing for very long. That's
2: the source of your optimism. Joe. yeah exactly. And you know, call me a dreamer, you know, you can start putting the soundtrack of John Lennon's Imagine, you know, and silently and you know, <laughs> quietly in the background. But you know I, government is good. Uh, government is for adults. Uh, and you know, one of the values of being an American is that every generation should have better off than the one that preceded it. And, you know, there's like sort of a social contract involved in that. So, you know, hey, granddad, don't squander the goods, please. And what I'm seeing is uh, everything being decided for the moment. Uh, It's all about ratcheting up to get power and to hold on to it. And there's no long term plan. So I think I think they'll fail in that regard. And I think people will see that.
0: Zachary, uh, uh, as a closing question to follow, Joe's uh, really optimistic and, I think, uh, valid insights. Um, do, do you see uh, young people paying attention? Is this moment uh, a different moment in the way young people view politics?
1: I think so. I do think there's a sense among young people that that our politics is broken. And I think that's really a sense that, that most generations uh, share. Um and, and I don't think that's exclusive to young people. But I do think there's also a sense that we're at a unique moment where not only do we need to fix it, but I think there's a growing understanding that we have the power to fix the system. Uh, and obviously, the first step is, is to get involved in politics and, and, and to put ourselves in positions uh, where, where we can fix the system. Yeah,
0: which so wonderfully echoes the inspiration for our podcast over more than 240 episodes, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who said, of course, that every generation writes a new chapter in our democracy. And it is possible, and um, it is historically fitting with past precedent for a case in a trial like Ken Paxton's, Uh, to actually be as much of an opening as it is a closing, uh, an opening for a generation that watches this moment to think about how politics could be different. And what's striking to me and what I think Joe and Zachary have both uh, articulated so well is to say this is a new moment, to say this is a moment when we have to fix things and do things differently, is not to say that one has to be a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, again, I would remind everyone that it was Republicans that impeached Ken Paxton, not, not Democrats. It is possible to be from either party. And to see this as a moment when when we have to change, when we have to reform, when we have to rethink our politics as as you both articulated I, so well. I agree with um, well, let's let's hope. Uh, our podcast every week is about trying to see how history informs uh, our future and our current challenges and possibilities as a democracy. And perhaps the trial of Ken Paxton was a civics lesson for us all in what's not working and how things could work differently. Mm-hmm. Joe, thank you so much for filling in uh, so many of the details, which you did succinctly and in a very informed way, and for also giving us hope going forward, Joe. Thank you so much. My
2: pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you for all
0: you're doing. Zachary, thank you, of course, for your uh, inspiring poem uh, with a little sarcasm also attached to it uh, and for your uh, thoughtful insights. And thank you most of all to our loyal listeners for joining us for this episode of This Is Democracy.